Welcome to the Ivy Church podcast. For more podcasts and information about Ivy Church, go to ivychurch.org. I have this, this thing. Uh, it's, it's almost like one of those kind of confession times, isn't it? I have, I have a confession to make in front of 500 people. Um, every now and then, about once a month, I have to get out of the city, I have to get away, and I have to climb a mountain. And when I say it like that, it sounds all really impressive, but I don't like have any ropes or picks or, or any kind of crazy stuff like that. It's more like a glorified big hill that I do. And I'm not even sure entirely why I have to do it. It could be some kind of macho insecurity inside me, like if I'm not doing something that feels manly enough every now and then I'll start burning things or, or, or I'll turn some piece of wood into a table. I don't know, that there's something in me that is like, if I'm not out, I'm not doing something that feels like an adventure, that I get this itch. And it has to feel like an adventure too, so I don't really plan. I try not to choose the mountain ahead of time. I want the mountain to surprise me when I get there. Uh, and that sometimes goes really wrong. And uh, so this is what I do. I do this about once a month, and I try to have some time with God. Uh, and when you kind of, it all goes wrong, you really have time with God. And uh, so, so I was out a few weeks ago in Wales, and I found myself at about 3,000 feet, and I was looking out across all the valleys. Uh, and I looked back on all of the way that I'd come, and there was this overwhelming sense of wow. You know, wow, look at that. Look how far I've come. That was the point where I wanted to give up. That was the bit where I got lost and I had to swallow my pride and come down a little bit to kind of go back up the right way. But wow, look at this. Look where I am. And as I was thinking that, I had a moment of, of clarity in my own life. And I realized something about myself. I hate climbing mountains. <laughs> I hate climbing mountains. Like, don't get me wrong, I love being on top of a mountain. I love that, that feeling of looking out. I love the, the ice in my beard hair. I, I, love, I love all of that stuff. Uh, I just don't like the climb. And I, I don't think I want a helicopter to take me to the top either, because it's not the same. I kind of love having climbed a mountain. But I don't love climbing mountains. I don't love the pain. I don't love the sweat. I don't love the blood and, and the bruises and the blisters and all of those things. But I love having climbed a mountain. And I think we're a little bit like that with life. You know, we all, we all love to watch an excellent life. But how often do we just not want to do it ourselves? I think in life we want to get to a point where, where we get to the end and we have lived, but we don't actually want to live. We don't want to do the living. And this for me is perhaps it explains something of my spirituality. It explains something of why I, I love certain verses more than others. Like Psalm 34 says, seek peace. Pursue it. So then when Emma says, Ben, I'm going out tonight watching, will you watch the boys? I'm like, no, honey. Jesus has told me to seek peace. <laughs> it's biblical. I'm allowed to say that. 
See, my spirituality often feels more like scented candles and warm baths. And I think I, I tweak and I twist verses as well. The Lord is my shepherd. I will feel no stress. He promises me a lion whenever I want. It sounds good, doesn't it? And then I get confused because I'll be there in the morning and I'll be sitting down and I'll be practicing my Ignatian spirituality and my kids will be running around the house like crazies. I'll be like, Cole, can't you see I'm trying to find some peace? Jesus is trying to talk to daddy, now go to your bedroom. <laughs> it's mad. And we get confused, don't we? We get, we get completely confused because life brings struggles. And life brings problems. And, and we kind of think of peace as being this environment that we have to find. And we forget that peace is an inner thing. That peace is inside us. And the truth is, whoever you are today, whether you follow Jesus or not, whether you know him or you don't, life comes against you. And it's going to come against you this week. You know, there might be some unexpected bills that are going to come against you this week. Uh, there might be some, some pain in your neck that comes against you this week. That person in your work who you don't really want to work with, they might be coming against you this week. And the problem is when we don't expect troubles, they catch us off guard and we're unprepared. Daniel was talking earlier about a verse in John 16 verse 33. Uh, and in this verse, Jesus says, he says, you may have peace, but you know in this world you will have trouble. But take heart, for I have overcome the world. What an amazing verse is that. You will have trouble, but you can have peace. Because I have overcome the world. Today, I've got a question for you and I've got a statement. The question is this, what battles are you facing right now at the beginning of the year of acceleration? What are the fights that are in your path? And the statement is this, every fight will promote you because you have a God-given advantage. It doesn't matter what you face. It doesn't matter what comes your way. God has given you an advantage. If you know Jesus today, you have an advantage in every single battle. The problem is most people don't know this. And, and I think we often see people and it seems like, like life is so easy for them. And they're just absolutely killing it. And so it surprises us when it's not easy for us. But the truth is, you have an advantage. We're going to look today at a story of a young man in the Bible. He's, he's really famous. His name's David. And, and his story starts with him being a shepherd boy. And he is there tending the sheep as shepherds do. And this wild-eyed, crazy prophet comes in. The reason I know he's wild-eyed and crazy is because he's a prophet. And, uh, and that is what all prophets do. And I imagine him coming in. He probably smelled of like herbal tobacco or something. That's what I imagine prophets are like as well. This is just my imagination. And he came in and he had like weird mad hair. And he said, boy, you're going to be the next king. And this shepherd boy, David, would, I, I don't know what you would have thought. Imagine that happened to you. Some, some weird, crazy prophet comes and goes, Johnny, when Elizabeth goes, you're next. You'd be thinking, this guy is a lunatic. Like, what is he talking about? Like, me, 
David, a shepherd boy, like from a family that no one really knows about in a town that no one cares about, the youngest in the family, he was like the last likely, the least likely, the last to be picked. He's the one you would never have chosen. And, and the prophet comes and says, it's you. It's you, David. And then what he does is he gets this oil and he gets this jar and he breaks it and he pours it over his head. And it wasn't like this little dab on his forehead. He literally drenches him in oil, head to toe. It would have gone everywhere. And he'd been thinking, man, I just bought this top. And now everywhere he's going, it's like I imagine these oily footprints that he leaves. Everyone he touches now gets touched by the same oil. He is covered in oil. Everywhere he goes, he now smells of this oil. And it's crazy. And it's weird. And as you read this story, you should be thinking, what is going on? This doesn't seem to make sense. And the amazing thing is he is anointed and he walks straight out into a battle. Let's return the next page and there's a giant standing right there in the middle of his path. And how often do we think we get anointed and that makes everything easier? That God's blessing comes upon us and nothing will stop us anymore. Do you know, we had a struggle this week with my son Cole. Uh, I turned up at his school and I immediately knew something was wrong. And the teacher came out and said, excuse me, Mr. Jeffrey. And when they call me Mr. Jeffrey, I really know something's wrong. Excuse me, Mr. Jeffrey. But you have to stay behind. And I felt like I was in school again. <laughs> it's like, oh no, it's all happening over again. And, and, and they started to explain what had happened and what had gone down. And I just thought, oh, this doesn't sound like my son at all. Like, this isn't my boy. He, he couldn't have done this. And, and it hurt me. And, and this was the first time as a dad I've ever experienced this thing. Uh, some of you are looking at me like, yeah, it happens again. <laughs> Others of you maybe have girls and you don't know what I'm talking about as much. But I was there and I was broken. And, and I came back and I was, I, was, I was sitting there and I was talking to Emma. Now, hands up any men who just have an incredibly wise wife. Wise wife. Yeah. If your hand isn't up, I'm going to give you a hint right now. Get your hand up in the air or you'll be proving something. <laughs> okay, it's too late. It's too late. You missed it. I was trying to help you guys out. <laughs> Emma came home and she said, she said, well, what do you expect? What do you expect? And I was like, well, what do you mean? She said, well, it's first fruits. She said, last Sunday, we gave sacrificially. We gave more than we could afford. And that is like a spiritual statement. That isn't just a practical thing. That's like a middle finger up at consumerism. It says, you know what? I'm not a bystander here. I'm not just here sitting in the sea. I'm not hanging around. I'm part of this. I'm going to fight. I'm going to climb. I'm going to keep on going. I'm going to be part of what God's doing. This is like a, a profound, deep spiritual thing. And so we should expect when we're doing these incredible things, that there's going to be giants that are on the path. And you know what, David, he's not surprised. He walks up and he's not surprised to see this giant. And he turns around to him and he says, I don't come with, with might or power. He says, I'm not here with my sword and my spear. He says, but by the power of God, I will overcome you. You see, David knew 
David knew why he was fighting and David knew who he was fighting with. You know, he knew the point of that fight. He knew the purpose and he knew that he wasn't alone within it. We should expect giants. So I'm going to just backtrack because this giant has been there for 40 days. And he's been going all around and he's been, he's been taunting the Israelites and saying, I'm going to take you down. No one can stand up. And David is the shepherd boy who's arrived. And he turns around and he says, well, I'll do something about it. I'll fight you. I'll fight this giant. And do you know what everyone says? Not a chance. You can't do it. You can't win. You're not big enough. You're not strong enough. And I think we find that too. When you're in your deepest struggles, it's often not the time when everyone gets around you and supports you. It's the times when people say, no, you can't do this. But David had a different perspective. I was talking with a friend a few weeks ago, and she was telling me that she had to, had to get a new job. Uh, and that she, she was looking for this job, and she'd been offered, offered an interview. And she was so optimistic. And she's like, I, I feel like I'm a sure thing. They've kind of hinted to me that I'm going to get this job and it's just all a matter of formality. You know, they did, they did the pistol, it's yours. And so she was, she was really excited and then it turns out that there was somebody else at the last minute who applied and got the job and she didn't get it. And that was painful. And so she then started looking for these other jobs, place to place, trying to find somewhere to work. And she eventually found somewhere and, and she was telling me about it and telling me the work that she does and uh, how inflexible the hours are and how hard it is to get time off to do the things that she wants to do. And all of like my pastoral senses are tingling. I'm like, oh, this sounds awful. This is bad. This isn't good. And she turns around and she said, but let me tell you about this boy who I spoke to. And he asked me about my story and I told him about Jesus. And he wants to now come to church with me. And everyone in this place now knows that I'm a Christian and they keep asking me these incredible questions and I keep getting opportunities to share my faith. She said, I feel like God maybe put me here for a purpose. You know what one person would have looked at negatively, she looked at and she saw the opportunities. She saw the advantages. And she said, Maybe God has put me here. You see, you don't need more advantages in your situation. You just need a greater awareness of what's already there. Sometimes we feel like there shouldn't be any obstacles on our road. Like, like we should just have this wonderful fantasy life where we're all skipping together and we're happy. And our family should never argue, right? Because I've got Jesus in me and Emma's got Jesus in her. So why don't our Jesuses get along? <laughs> it makes no sense. The Bible tells me that I'm going to be more than an overcomer. But how can I be more than an overcomer if I don't have more to overcome? There have to be obstacles. Obstacles don't prevent the presence of God. They prove it. Every obstacle is an opportunity for God to be right there in the middle of your life. And that is what peace is. That is why we can have this confidence. That is why David was able to step forward. And this is what he says. He says, I have been taking care of my father's sheep and goats. 
When a lion or bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and club it to death. I have done this to lions and bears, and I'll do it to this pagan Philistine too. For he has defied the armies of the living God. Do you know something? I think that anybody in that army could probably have said that same speech. He wasn't alone in that. He didn't have better weapons. He didn't have a different God. God was there for all of them in the same way, but David came with a different awareness. And so he, he steps up and he fires his sling and, and he smashes it in Goliath's face and Goliath falls down. And this is where the story gets a little bit messy. And as I read this, you're going to wonder, why is this the kind of story we read our kids? Because it's gross. You see, what David does is he runs over, and he doesn't know at this point, is Goliath knocked out or dead? He runs over, and he picks up Goliath's sword, takes it out of its sheath, and he cuts off his head. He then takes all of Goliath's weapons, he puts it in his tent, and he goes and he picks up the head... And he decides he's going to walk around with it. It's like, I don't really want you to use too much of your imagination, but you can imagine how gross this is at this point. He's just walking around with a dead head. Like, this guy is crazy. Like, this is not good. This is not how we behave in public. And, and it says that he, he carries his head all the way to Jerusalem. To show everybody this is a decapitated head. This is what it looks like. And as I read this, I'm like, why? What are you thinking, David? You're supposed to be a Christian. Or a Jew, either way. Like, what are you doing? And what you need to understand is that in this time, in this day and age, in the ancient Near East, this was symbolic. That what he was saying was he was symbolizing the fact that he was completely cutting off the enemy. That his victory was total. That he was not stopping. He was not going to be afraid that that giant was going to get back up and fight him again. He was not going to be afraid that his children wouldn't be able to walk out. That they would get a knock on the door one day. He cut him off completely. Listen to me today. Because some of you are surviving what God calls you to conquer. You need to finish the job. It's great to be a Christian. And you can be here and you can be like it's all good. But God doesn't stop there. He calls you into a process where you go from strength to strength, where you go from glory to glory, when you become more and more like him. We have this long word. We call it sanctification. And all it means is that, that you become more Christ-like. Don't stop until the job is finished. You know, maybe you're here and you're like, yeah, but I don't smoke drugs anymore. But don't stop until you don't even want them. Until you've completely conquered that. Maybe you're here today and you say, do you know what? I gave my money. I did my tithing. Don't stop until you have a spirit of generosity. Cut the head off the thing. Don't back down. There's some of you today... Maybe you've been struggling with your marriage. Maybe you've said, I'll stick it out. Do you know what? You need to love your wife. You need to love her. 
Don't just be around for your kids. Raise your kids. Invest in your kids. Nurture your kids. Bring out the best. Don't stop. Finish the job. You see, David, he took the sword of the enemy and used it against him. He took the sword that was meant to defeat him and used it to defeat the giant. Maybe what somebody is using to attack you today is what God's going to use to redeem you. Maybe God is going to turn around that situation and he's going to use it for your strength. Look here, the story doesn't end at this point. If we fast forward 14 years and a couple of chapters to chapter 21, we find this other story. And it's amazing because David's anointing, David's blessing has just been overflowing everywhere he goes. And, and Saul, the king, has, has told him, well, basically has attacked him. He's going to kill him. And so David has been forced to flee. David has been forced to run away. And he finds himself in this temple. And there's a priest called Ahimelech, which is a fantastic name. If we have a third son, it is a contender. <laughs> and, and he goes to the priest and he says, I'm hungry, I'm thirsty. Do you have any food? And the priest says, I have, I have some sacramental bread and some wine. And it was completely illegal for the priest to give it to him. But listen to this today. God will break the law to bless you. And the priest gives him this food. And David turns around to the priest and he says, do you have any weapons here that I can use for my struggles? And read what the priest says because it's epic. He says, we have the sword of Goliath, the Philistine, who you killed in the valley of Elah. It's here. It's wrapped in a cloth behind the effort. If you want it, take it. There's no sword here but that one. And do you know what David says? There's none like it. Give it to me. That sword that was used against him is now back in his hand and he's going to use it today. The battles that you fought yesterday are going to equip you for the battles God has for you for tomorrow. He's like, I remember the time when no one thought I could do it. I remember when my brothers told me to go back. I remember when they said to stop. And I remember as I stepped forward, not by strength, not by sword or spear, but by the power of the Lord, I faced these battles before. Where is my sword? Give it to me. There is none like it. And this happens time and time in our lives. You hear people talk like this all the time. That, that, that thing that was supposed to curse me has somehow become my blessing. That, that pain that was supposed to knock me out somehow gave me the strength to face the battle for tomorrow. Do you know, I want to I wanna tell you something. It doesn't matter where you are in life, there's a battle coming. We don't ever get to a point where the battles stop. And I believe that the reward for glorious battle is an even greater battle. You see, we don't get to the end of our lives and hold back. The idea is that we finish with, with a quiver that's empty saying, do you know what? I held nothing back. I gave it all. There's nothing left for me to give because I fought to the end. And do you know why? Because I knew why I was fighting and I knew who I was fighting with. Praise God. I'll tell you a story. 
about a few years ago, I was taking a small group to Pakistan. And we were going to go, and, and the idea of this trip was that we were going to uh, go and, and lead a youth, a youth camp. And I got the whole team from all around the country to gather around outside Heathrow Airport. And at the last minute, we didn't get visas. Uh, and we, we got stuck there. And um, we'd spent a year planning for this. And I was like, how would God bring us this far for us to fail at the end. It doesn't make any sense. It's not logical that we would get to this point and then nothing happened. But I knew that I only had like an hour to work this out. And so I prayed this prayer and I said, Lord, I need to know what your plan is. And I need to know in the next hour so that I can tell the team because they were waiting at the airport and we've got nowhere to go. And we've got nothing to do. And so I prayed. And 32 minutes later, I got an email. And it said, we are a camp in Kyrgyzstan. And we don't have leaders to come to this camp. Do you know a team who will come? Now, if you don't know where Kyrgyzstan is, it's a bit like Afghanistan, but with a Kyrg. <laughs> and I stopped and I thought about it. And I was like, we will come. We are the team of youth leaders and we will be there. And so I went online and I checked out the flights and I was three grand short. And I thought, we will not come. Maybe they need us in Basingstoke. <laughs> and then my, my co-leader of this group, she phoned me up and she was like, how are we getting on? What's the situation? And I, and I told her and she was like, well, I've not had any breakthrough with where we should go. But I spoke to somebody and they want to give us some money to help us. And I said, well, how much? She said, 3,000 pounds. I was like, praise God, <laughs> we were going. <laughs> and then we have no idea where we're going. We don't know where this place is, <laughs> but we are going to go there. And this is not where the story ends. Because 12 months later, I'm taking out another group. And we're now in Malaysia trying to get to Indonesia to do something really similar. And we're at the airport. And one of the teams, she loses her passport. And I'm like, why did you lose your passport? As if it, she did it on purpose. Uh, and, and the problem was, it was a bank holiday. So we couldn't even just go to the embassy and get a new one because it was shut. And so I was like, what do I do? We have to catch our next flight, but I can't leave you on your own in Malaysia, but can I send you guys on your own to Indonesia? Like, what do you do? Uh, and so I sent them on their own to Indonesia. I decided that was the best thing. So I, I put them on a plane and I waited here with this other lady. And, um, and we went then the next day to the embassy and, and got her passport sorted and we came back to the flight desk and we said, put us on the next plane to Pekambaru. If I have four sons, Pekambaru. <laughs> and the lady said, okay, the next flight is in eight days. And I thought, oh dear. Because we had another flight in seven days from Pekambaru to a place called Medan. And I had all the tickets. And I was like, oh dear. I've only gone and messed this one up, haven't I, Jesus? Uh, and I was like, well, what do I do? So, so I went away and I had about 30 seconds of internal panic. 
And then I had a Starbucks and I felt a little bit better. And I stopped and I prayed. And I felt like God reminded me of 12 months before when in the space of one hour, he had pulled everything together and I just had to pray. I just had to do what I could do and that he would bring it to that point. And so I went back to the desk and I said, well, what can you do? Don't tell me what you can't do. Tell me what you can do. Who else flies to Pekambaru? Nobody. Okay, uh, where else do you fly to? Well, we fly to Medan. Excellent, two tickets to Medan. So like this is the equivalent, because I'm sure you don't know your Indonesian geography. This is like you want to get to Edinburgh and you buy a ticket to Cornwall. I was on the wrong side of the country, but I'm in the right country. So I then go on another website and I find like this really basic, dirty, hauler class flight from, from Medan to Pekambaru that you can't even buy if you're not in Indonesia. Somebody had to get the tickets and send me a photograph of my tickets. And eventually I get on the flight and we get to Medan. And the lady as we're going said, how was it that you stayed calm this whole journey? How was it that you didn't freak out, that you didn't flip out, that you knew it was gonna end up okay? And I told her, because this is not the first time I have fought this fight. Because I have been here before. The reason I was okay in Indonesia was because I defeated that battle before in the UK. Thanks for listening. For more podcasts, go to ivychurch.org forward slash media.